He is risen indeed. If you've got a copy of God's Word today, if you don't, there's some in the back. Turn with me to Philippians 2. We have taken a break from our normal. If you're visiting with us today, welcome. What we normally do is pick books of the Bible and we study all of it. One chapter at a time, one verse at a time to let God's Word come up. And then we apply it into our life. And so we've taken a break from Psalms, which is our normal exposition for Easter. And we have chosen Philippians 2. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians 2. Last week we looked at verses 5 to 8. And this week we're going to zone in to verses 9 to 11 on this resurrection morning. But this morning, I want us to stand to our feet. I want us to read it all. And I want us to read it together. So with me, stand to your feet. With your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. And as we begin to read this, let us remind ourselves, this is a letter, we're reading just a portion of, that is written to the church, to the redeemed of God. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5, let's read this together. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, to think that the First churches were singing this. This was their anthem of praise. Your son is alive and he's exalted. The right, your right hand, right now. And one day, he's coming for his own. Lord, that we today would exalt you. We would exalt your son and give him the reward of his suffering. Oh God, that nobody would leave here today without that desire burning in their soul. That you deserve our life lived in worship. Do your work, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That work you did at Pentecost. Do it again, God. Do it in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles, you might want to grease it up a little bit today. We use the Bible here. We don't care whether you use it on your phone or if you've got a paper copy. We just want you to use it. Last week we looked at verses 5 to 8. And what we were learned last week is God the Son took on the cross and He died. And we looked at two things specifically. That he died to reveal his character to us. 
Not simply his humanity, but both his humanity and his deity. He did so by ransoming a people for God. God the Son died. One quoted it this way, summarizing verses 5 to 8. His deity became a matter not of getting but of giving, not of being served but of serving, not of dominance but obedience. And so yesterday we had the privilege of modeling this a little bit to the King's Mountain, the, the town God put us in, the town we love. As we just simply and quietly, humbly served and had good conversations. And as we finished up, a, a lady come up to us. And as she was eating her hot dog, she, she began to tell us a story of last year. She said, last year I came and got a hot dog. And I, and I just went over and sat at the picnic table. And I was eating. A lady came over to me and she asked me if she could sit down. I said, sure. And she, she said, I began to have a conversation. It didn't take long to realize this, this lady was both unchurched and unsaved. And she said, as I began to talk to her about it, she clearly wanted to make sure that she, her lifestyle was that of which she proved that she wasn't saved. And she said, I just talked to her. I hugged her. She said, I just want you to know that her and her whole family are now born again and members of our church. She said, it all started with a hot dog. Brothers and sisters, I hope you learned that last week. The greater our relationship with our king, the greater our desire to serve each other, our neighbors and our nations. The more we empty ourselves, the more we are filled with enjoyment and power from on high. Here's the question I want you to look at. Look at your text. So we ended with verse 8, and we, we see it very clearly. Jesus became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And notice what he does here. Notice what he doesn't do. It says, therefore God highly exalted him. So here's the question. Why doesn't he mention the resurrection here? I mean, everywhere else in Scripture you see, you see resurrection right after death. That's the gospel. Here we see him saying, therefore God has highly exalted him. So why the emphasis on the, the exaltation and not the resurrection? It's a good question. Wednesday, one of the things we do is, is Pastor Micah leads what we call a hermeneutic class. And that's a big word that just simply means that we want to teach you how to read and understand the Bible. To say it another way, when you read Scripture, when we read this letter this morning, we must build a bridge between the context that that passage was spoken to, the people at that time in a place, to where me and you actually live. That's how we begin to understand it. So this is really important to understand. We ask the question, why does he say exaltation and resurrection? He's doing something in the context for which he was speaking into. You see, Philippi was a Roman colony. Roman rule reigned supreme. And when you heard the name Caesar, it brought up a particular thing. Pointed us to Rome, to their power, to their control. Caesar was Lord. In other words, Caesar was the cultural savior. It was his image on the change in their pocket. 
Didn't matter where the colony was. He took his image. His image was there. His name was spoken. Even to the point of worship. Paul is being in this text both confrontational and countercultural because that's the gospel is always that way. It speaks into a gospel that has another savior. So you see the bridge between that culture now and ours of why that was written. We have to ask the question today in your own life and in the life of this culture. Who's the culture's savior? In other words, who are they depending on? Who are they trusting on in the, in the, in the elections coming up? Who's going to be their savior? Because this culture had one and his name was Caesar. And into that culture came Christ who quietly and humbly became the savior of the world. It was this he speaks into. N.T. Wright says it this way. The emperor was the curios, the lord of the world. The one who claimed the allegiance and loyalty of subjects throughout his wide empire. When he came in person to pay a state visit to a colony or province, the word for his royal presence was parousia. The word means coming. That's the word the church uses for the coming of Christ. That's the way it was seen in that culture. And to this, Paul speaks into, it was this the church was planted into. The Christians became began to declare that there's only one Savior, there's only one Lord, and there's only one King. In the midst of a, of a place where Caesar was worshipped. Turn with me to Acts. I want you to see this. It's not in your notes. Acts 17. I want you to see this playing out in the life of the church, the life of everyday Christians, just like you and me. Imagine you were in that culture, and that Christian missionaries came to town and you took them into your home and you was taking care of them and a riot breaks out. And the next thing you know, they come banging on your door and drag you out. That's the context here. They drag out a man named Jason. Acts 17 verse 6. Here's the charge. Listen to how clear it is. These men... Who have turned the world upside down. Have come here also. And Jason has received them. Listen to what they're saying. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar. Saying that there is another king. Jesus. There's the issue. There's the context that Philippians speaks into. And that's the reason that he said. Jesus died. But now. He is the exalted king. There was no mistake. Yes, Jesus died, but now he is the risen king. He was humbly gave his life, but now he is exalted in the resurrection. Look with me now at Philippians 2.9. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him. I want you to key in to the word exalted. Remember, we said this. This was a hymn that would have been sung by the first church, the early church. This was... This, in other words, what we've just got through reading was what the church already believed from, the, from its inception. We're going to see that in just a minute. Notice the word exalted. Now flip over, if you've got Philippians, flip over to chapter 3, because chapter 3 is where 
Two, what he's saying, what they believe, is more unpacked. Now remember the context. If you lived in that colony and that time you were citizens of Rome. And to this, Philippians 3, verse 20, he says to the redeemed, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 21, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His what? Glorious body. He is exalted. He is glorified. And the hope of the church is not that we, have, we are citizens of Rome and get the benefit of Rome, but we are citizens of heaven. And one day, our Savior, our King, our Lord is going to come again. And He's going to make me transformed like Him. Why? Because Jesus bodily raised from the dead. That was their hope. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. We can't talk, we can't speak of Easter and not go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is all about the resurrection. Jesus's and yours. If you want to know about the resurrection from the dead in your life, you need to read this whole chapter. I just want you to see 1 Corinthians 15. These first few verses are a creedal statement that goes all the way back to Pentecost. It was what the church was founded on. Let's just read a few verses Good verse 1. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Look at verse 3. Here's the, here it is. For I have delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Paul's. Where did Paul receive it? Galatians says he received it from Jesus himself. I delivered to you what I received. Here it is. That Christ died for our sins according with the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. So what was being preached in the beginning? Did the gospel change? Did the disciples somehow make up the resurrection? Well, let's go to a point in time in history in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. If you look at verse 1, you'll see that it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come. Fifty days after the Passover, when Jesus was killed, they had the Feast of Weeks. This was for every, all the Jewish men were, came to the temple in Jerusalem to celebrate the first fruits, the harvest, to give glory to God for their, for their harvest. This was when became known as Pentecost. We know what happened there. The Holy Spirit came. And in verse 14... Peter stands up, lifted his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and give ear to my words. He then quotes the prophet Joel, ending in verse 21, where he says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He goes on to say, Men of Israel, verse 22, A man attested to you, Jesus of Nazareth, came to you with mighty works and wonders and signs, God did through in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 24, and God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was impossible for him. Then he quotes David. Remember who David was? David was the king. And he says, David himself said that you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. 
He goes on to say in verse 29, that can't be David. David's dead. You can go down the street and see the tomb of David. David's bones are in there. He suffered corruption. Verse 31 says, He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Listen, this Jesus God raised up, and of this we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you are seeing yourselves. Verse 36, that all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and with the rest of the apostles, and they said, what must we do? And he said, repent. Brothers and sisters, the exaltation of Jesus Christ was spoken 50 days after his death in the town that he was crucified with, the, with Calvary and the empty tomb right down the street. He is risen, brothers and sisters. They bared witness with it. And if it wasn't true, they only had to go down the street to prove it. He is alive. He is risen. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, he begins to preach this. Remember last week we said, if Jesus just came to give you and me an example so that we can be better people, we're pathetic. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19. If, if in this life only we have Jesus, what in the world are we doing this morning? We ought to be golfing or fishing or something. But he says, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20, but in fact, he has been raised from the dead and he is the first fruits of everyone who ever goes to sleep in Christ. Verse 25 says, for he must reign until all his enemies are put at his feet. He's reigning, brothers and sisters. He's exalted. This is why the therefore is there in verse 9. Notice what verse 9 says. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Jesus is right now the exalted king. And listen, you didn't make him king. I didn't make him king. Who made him king? Look at the text. God did. God bestowed on him freely and fully. You see, the exaltation is the reversal of humiliation. He came and was humiliated, took our place, suffered our shame. But here, you remember 2 Corinthians 8 9? He who was rich became what? Poor. So that we, by his poverty, might become what? Rich. Now the one who emptied himself and become poor is rich. He is exalted. He who was rejected by his own has been accepted by his father. This word here, highly, means super. You could say he's been super exalted. In other words, that means in a class by himself. This is not like you're going to go to a moment, and we probably all hope this happens. You probably hope to Monday, you go to work Monday, you're going to go in there, the boss says, hey, come in. I just want you to know you did just a, you've been doing just a bang-up job. And so I'm going to give you a 30% increase in your salary and a promotion. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying because of Jesus' death he got a promotion. 
He's saying that he was exalted to the highest position possible. And there's nothing that anyone can do to lift him higher or to ever lift him lower. It's good news this morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And he has been exalted. Super exalted. He is in a class by himself. You see, before Jesus Christ came and lived and died and rose again, his absolute lordship over this world had not been brought to full reality. You say, how so? Remember Genesis 3.15, one of the most important passages in the Bible. After man had fallen, the Lord says there will always be enmity, strife, a tension, a hatred between Satan and the seed of a woman. But through the seed of a woman, one day, the head of Satan will be fully and finally crushed. And until Christ came, and until he lived the life we should have lived, and died the death we should have died, and rose again, Satan was still trying to kill the seed. But on that day when Christ rose again, the seed was glorified, exalted. No more could it happen. This is the story of the Bible, of Satan trying to kill the seed of Abraham, trying to kill the seed of David. But God Give Jesus Christ who came out of Abraham's offspring in the line of David. And he's alive, brothers and sisters. And so the victory that you could not win on your own, Christ won for you so that we could have victory over sin and shame and live for him. He is exalted, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ died on Friday, but he raised on Easter morning. Hebrews 1.3 makes it so clear. Speaking of Jesus, remember Hebrews? The point of Hebrews is Jesus is better. Hebrews 1, verse 3. Speaking of our brother. You're redeemed today. Do you know that? Jesus is your brother. We're in the family. Mm, that's another sermon. Look at what it says in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Listen to this. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why did He sit down? Because it's finished. You don't work for it. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. He purchased it. He's done with His work of redemption. He sat down. And when He gets up, He's coming for us. That's the beautiful message. He's exalted. That's what he was given. He was also given, look, a name. Bestowed on him the name that is above every name. You see, when Paul writes this letter, as we see all the time, we just saw it in Peter, he's always got the Old Testament. He's always got Scripture in his mind. He's got a Scripture in his mind here, and it's in Isaiah. Isaiah 42 you might want to mark Isaiah. We're going to come back here in just a minute again. He's going to quote Isaiah again here in just a few minutes. Isaiah 42. Look at verse 8. Yahweh speaking. Listen, you need to listen to me this morning. The Bible's fixing to teach us something. Isaiah 42.8 I am the Lord... That is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carve idols. It is to Jesus who has given the name above all names. 
Go back to your context now. The name of Caesar brought up in the minds of everyone. All of his subjects. Exaltation. Authority. Position. Power. That's what it brought. So here's the question. What's the name? He was given a name. What is that name? Is it Jesus? Well, Jesus was given to him at his birth. He had had that name. What was the name? If you go back to Philippians, the letter that we just got through that we were looking at, go back to Philippians 1. Whatever this name is affects the way God's people see themselves. Philippians 1 verse 1 says, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Now if your version and mine does says servants, that word is doulos. It means slave. It meant something in that day. It meant their will was bound up in the will of another. In other words, if this service was a letter that was written down, we would, we would say, Micah and Stephen, slaves of Christ Jesus. That's the way Christians see themselves because of this name. Notice in verse 9, he doesn't answer the question. You see, we have the gift of exaltation. But in verse 10, we have the purpose of exaltation. You see, in the Bible, when you see the word so that, he's fixing to teach you why. We all like that question. If you're, if you're a child, you know your children, they come up to get to a certain age, and there's why about everything. That's important. It's important to ask why. The Bible tells us why. Why was, was, was he exalted? Verse 10, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess. So what's the purpose of his exaltation? Absolute worship. Do you see that? Christ came and lived and died, rose again, exalted to the right hand of the Father. Why? So that everyone will worship. There's, there's a why here. There's also two promises. Two promises given to us. What is it? All will bow and all will confess. He's speaking to people with knees and tongues here. You see it? Not speaking to trees. Not speaking to the water. Not speaking to the dirt. Why not? Because they have always worshipped the Lord. And they have never stopped from the moment they were created. The dirt always does what it was told to do. But we haven't. Christ came for us to ransom us. And here we see our purpose. It's worship. Here's the question in this text today. Who will bow? The willing or the unwilling? Well, good thing he's quoting the Old Testament here. So if you've got Isaiah still marked, flip back over to Isaiah. Look at chapter 45, beginning in verse 23. Isaiah 45, verse 23. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. Listen to this quote. To me, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. 
To him shall come and be ashamed all who are incensed against him. The news here this morning is both wonderful and there is a caution here that one day all will bow. Some will bow in shame and some will bow in joy and triumph. One day the whole universe will acknowledge what his redeemed community now confesses freely. The question is, what is that name? Well, let's see it in verse 11. It says, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord. There it is. That's the name. He was given a name above every name. His name's Lord. That's why you see in the Bible people saying the Lord Jesus Christ. He was given a name. Above every name. And now we as Christians, when we read the Psalms and our brokenness and our pain, and we say, the Lord, the Lord is our strength and our strong tower. We say, that's my Jesus. Because He has been given the name above every name. And His name is Yahweh. Before Abraham was, I am. That's His name. And to the culture... That was there in the day, Christians would say, Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. That's what they said. They said it not only with their mouths, they said it with their life. And listen to me this morning. If you don't need to get anything as Christians, we need to change our language today. Quit telling people to make Jesus their Lord. The Father's already made him Lord. You can't make Him more Lord or less Lord. He's Lord. He rose from the grave. He's Lord. He's at the right hand of the Father. We call people to repent and to submit to that which He is. He's Lord. Every knee will bow. We as believers bow now willingly and joyfully. Because He is not only our Lord, He is not our brother. The, cre- the God Almighty who created the universe is not only the sovereign God, He's our Father. What is your chief end, brothers and sisters? Why are you here? Why do you exist? Same as Jesus. You see the text? To glorify God the Father. That's why you're here today. C.S. Lewis said it so well. We don't think too many big thoughts. We think too little. That we are far too easily pleased. So believers, are you enjoying the Lord today? I'm not asking you to go to church on Sunday or if you pay your tithes or, or whatever. I'm asking, do you enjoy Him? Is He the heartbeat of your life? Because He wants to be. He's risen. He's Lord. He came. Nobody, nobody came and died for you. No one stood in your place to take your shame. No one else can promise you you will live forever with Him. Save our Jesus.
So the question is clear today. Who is your Lord? Have you right now today publicly declared who Jesus is? He's Lord. He is the only Savior. Turn with me to Romans. There's no more beautiful passage in the Bible. It gives us such a wonderful promise. It only gets sweeter with the years. Romans 10, look at verse 9. Here's the promise. Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, that is, forgiven and declared righteous. And with the mouth one confesses. Confesses means we agree with who the Father says His Son is. And saved. Verse 11. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jews and Greeks. For the saint, listen, for the same Lord is Lord of all. Here's our word. It was in Philippians. You see the bestowing? The Father bestowed the exaltation on Christ. Look at the promise here. Bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He is no longer humiliated. He is exalted. And here He has. Through faith in Christ, He will bestow on you the richest. What is that? He gives you Himself. And the power of the Holy Spirit. Believers, are you living in that power? What does that mean? We all have a tendency sometimes to use language we don't understand. Turn with me to Philippians 3. I said Philippians 3 is a little bit of an unpacking of what Philippians 2 says. I want us to draw to a close and just get a few things from this and then we're done. Remember Philippians 2 verse 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ. What does having the mind of Christ look like when it lives your Monday? When it goes back to college? A college full of enemies of the cross. Go back to work with hell-bound sinners. What are you supposed to do? How do you live the gospel out? Philippians 3.7 says, But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes to the law, but what comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Look at verse 10. Can you hear His passion that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and share in His suffering and becoming like Him in His death that any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. What is He saying here this morning to us? What can we take into our life? 
Well, Spurgeon said it so well. I've been chewing on what he said for a week. Spurgeon said we should live if, as if Jesus died yesterday, rose today, and is coming back tomorrow. That we live life, we live every day like that. Like Jesus died yesterday, He rose today, and here's what He said, I'm coming for you tomorrow. Let me ask you, what would immediately become loss and gain? You go to the doctor tomorrow, and you got cancer. It's stage four. you got three days before your organs start shutting down. Would not immediately, what's loss and gain, become immediately clear in our life. Jesus says, every day you live as if I'm coming tomorrow. And what difference would it make if it would? If we lived that way. Do you know Paul is writing this from prison? He's not telling you something that he's not living. And nor can we. What does he say here? I just want to know him. And I don't get to pick how Jesus teaches me. Sometimes it's very painful the way he teaches us, isn't it? Sometimes it doesn't even make sense. Knowing him intimately, irregardless of the losses and the crosses, it makes it all worth it. That's what he's saying. He's saying it from prison. Everything else in my life other than knowing Christ is dung. That's what he's saying. All my achievements, all my corporate climbing, all the passions of this and that, and all my activities that I'm teaching my kids to put before Christ. When Christ was coming tomorrow, it would become immediately clear that it's all lost except of what my kids know about is Jesus. Wouldn't it? This is what he's saying. This is how you live out the reality of the resurrection in your life. Because here's the truth. Here's what he says in verse 9. I just want to be found looking like my Jesus. That's what drives your holiness. I don't have to give you a bunch of rules to follow. We're in the new covenant. We have Jesus. We follow Him. I just want to be found looking like Him. That's what motivates my holiness. That's what motivates yours. What's the power of the resurrection? What turned Peter into a coward who denied his Lord, into one that would stand up at Pentecost before thousands and tell the Jewish people, you killed the King of glory, but God raised him up and you're in trouble. Repent. What would cause a man? The Holy Spirit does. That's where the power comes from. It doesn't come from pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. It comes from being born again and filled with the Spirit of God. That's the promise. What in the world are you saying in verse 10? Just look at the text. It seems to be saying that Paul's saying one of the practical applications of your life and mine is we should want suffering. You should put a question. What is he saying? <laughs> what is he saying? He's saying as Christians, we embrace it. Only if it brings in glory and helps us know him more or help somebody else know Him more, we embrace it. Listen, you don't have to go looking for suffering if you say Jesus is Lord. Matter of fact, you can avoid suffering by, by just not saying Jesus is Lord. Speak of Jesus this week as a good man, a good example, one of many ways to improve your life, and you'll probably be okay in this world. Speak of Jesus Speak of a Jesus who needs you. 
who wants to give you an easy life and no hell. And people will line up behind you to walk with Jesus. But speak of Him as a sovereign Lord, ruling and reigning, mighty to save, the only way given among men by which we must be saved. Speak of Jesus that way. Speak of Jesus as the only way that has bridged the gap because you have offended God. Speak of Him that way. And this culture will crucify you just like they did Jesus. Paul is saying, when they do, because right now they are, I embrace it. And listen to what he's saying. I rejoice in it. Why? How could you say that, Paul? Because I am being identified by the name. They're saying, you're one of those little Christ following Jesus. Philippians 4, 4 says this. He closes his letter out. He says, rejoice. Rejoice, church. And again I say rejoice. Why? The Lord is at hand. I love the New Living Translation in Philippians 4, 4. It says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, The Lord is coming soon. Bow your heads with me. I'm going to read a passage over you and then pray. 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as we are pure. Brothers and sisters, we are God's children now. And we will give the Lord the reward of His suffering by worshiping and enjoying Him now and forever. And so, Lord, what we do in the next few minutes is a response And I pray you'll prove yourself today mighty to save. Lord, our response as redeemed children will be when we leave here. And so my prayer for your people, Jew purchased, I didn't purchase them, God. Nobody else here did, only your son. And you promised him he would have the reward of his suffering, our worship. May it be true, Lord. May right now you receive the worship that is due the name of your son and that it will bring glory and honor to you. And then, Lord, on my Monday and on our Mondays, would we rejoice in the Lord. And again, we say rejoice that we get a day to reflect you in a world that does not know you. Oh God. We wait for that day. When we shall see you as you are. But until that day Lord. May we press on. Press on to know the Lord today. And rest in that. Rest in his. Oh God, give rest for your people today. 
the rest that comes through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord and Lord that is in whose name we pray and in whose name we now stand and sing amen stand with us and let us sing